Hello, and welcome to this Speed Listen installment of the Six Gun Justice podcast, featuring everything you need to know about the 1970s Western fiction phenomenon of the Piccadilly Cowboys and the adult Westerns in under 15 minutes. Six Gun Justice Speed Listens are bonus podcast installments highlighting original material not covered in our full-length Six Gun Justice episodes. I'm Paul Bishop. My compadre Richard Prosh and I co-host the full-length episodes of the Six Gun Justice podcast, but we ride solo for our own Speed Listen installments. In the early 1970s, the death knell of the Western genre was once again ringing loudly, but it was silenced when a tough group of Brits who had never been west of the Mississippi rode out of a dark and dangerous Piccadilly pub in the heart of London, just in time to rescue it. Four deadly UK wordslingers with their battered typewriters tied down, ready to blast out paperbacks filled with violent, brutal, blistering action. They were set for a showdown against every 10-star tradition of the Western genre, and they were determined to shoot them to doll rags. For the next decade, this gang, known as the Piccadilly Cowboys, carved more than 300 notches on their combined typewriters, one for every hard, fast, ultra-violent tale they produced. Terry Hartnett, Angus Wells, Lawrence James, and John Harvey had truly never traveled west of London, yet their influence would save the Western genre from obscurity. Using assumed identities, pseudonyms such as George Gilman, which was Terry Hartnett, William M. James, which was Hartnett, Lawrence James, and John Harvey, James A. Muir and Matthew Kirk, which was Angus Wells, L.J. Coburn, which was John Harvey, and many others. These desperate men found inspiration in the filmactic violence, heat, dust, and bloodshed of Sergio Leone's Spaghetti Westerns. Together, they shunned the generic moral and puritanical principles of traditional westerns by splashing blood-soaked nihilistic hyper-realism across their pages. Originally, the first of the Piccadilly Cowboys, Terry Harknett, took his inspiration for his iconic Edge character, by far the most successful and well-known of all the western series associated with the Piccadilly Cowboys, from the shadowy and violent world of Morgan Kane. Created by a Norwegian bank clerk under the pseudonym Lewis Masterson, Kane was depicted as a hard-drinking, hard-living, guilt-ridden Texas Ranger. Beginning with Without Mercy in 1971, Kane galloped through more than 80 Western adventures. The books were a phenomenal success in Norway. Kane proved to be such a compelling character, he also made regular, shorter appearances in Arnison's fortnightly Western magazine, a Norwegian publication. At the height of his popularity, there were even Morgan Kane playing cards. Moving beyond Kane, the protagonists created by the Piccadilly Cowboys were not traditional anti-heroes or even amoral drifters with their own personal code. They were often brutal, violent bullies, sociopathic villains with no thought for anything beyond their own survival or the slaking of their depraved lusts, killing, vengeance, sadism, and purient rutting. An output of over 300 westerns and two dozen or more series featuring these vicious gunmen cemented the reputation of the Piccadilly Cowboys for creating the most violent westerns in print. Edge definitely led the pack, but the westerns from the blazing typewriters of the Piccadilly Cowboys almost always sold well. Series such as Apache, Jubal Cade, Caleb Thorne, Crow, Breed, Gunslinger, Gringos, Hawk, Heart the Regulator, Peacemaker, Adam Steele, The Undertaker, Hearn the Hunter, and Claw all spread their violence and bloodshed across 150 pages of blistering action month after month. Despite having made the genre relevant again, these new neo-westerns were not admired by everyone. 
The old guard of the traditional Western, white-hatted, horse-loving damsel rescuers, reviled these blackguards, who they believed were destroying their legacy. When the frenzied pop culture infatuation with the vice-vice West eventually cooled, the custodians of conventional shoot-em-ups celebrated. They were more than glad to let the Piccadilly Cowboys and their dark tales fade into the legends writers speak of with awe around their campfire. But the traditionalists quickly learned they should be careful what they wished for. As the purists began to climb down from their high horses, they were blindsided by a band of modern American wordslingers who began burning up the Western genre. They substituted the raw violence of the Piccadilly Cowboys with raw and raunchy sex in what would become known as adult Westerns. It was an all-out American cavalry charge, not only to snatch the Western genre back from the upstart Brits, but to also carry out a lightning coup to dethrone the traditional Western on its home soil. For a decade, the Piccadilly Cowboys had ruled the range with many different, yet ultimately similar Western series. As the 80s dawned, however, and the popularity of the ultra-violent Piccadilly Cowboy Westerns began to wane, traditional Western fans, who believed their vision of Western fiction had been dragged into the sewer by the British upstarts, began to breathe easy. Clearly, their beloved white hat, black hat, kiss the horse and not the girl version of the Western was about to rise again from the ashes and return to old-fashioned Americana values. They couldn't have been more wrong. The Piccadilly Cowboy Westerns have been blood-soaked, sadistic, jagged-edged tales containing enough gratuitous sex to send prudes running in every direction. When these ultraviolet Westerns began to decline in popularity, they left a huge void in the genre. The wordslingers of traditional Westerns believed they could take their time returning to the once-beloved but old-fashioned horse operas of the state and the wool, yet solid storytellers like Louis L'Amour and Zane Grey. What they hadn't counted on was that an outlaw pack consisting of a new and hungry version of American pulp-style writers were a trigger's breath away from ambushing the inherently homegrown Western genre and claiming it for themselves. This new generation of pulp wordslingers were ready to show the world anything the Brits could do, the Americans could do better, and with a whole lot more sex. This was going to be a high noon showdown in the gutter, a hijacking at six gunpoint and 12-point font of the paperback mass market. The Piccadilly Cowboy Westerns placed their emphasis on violence first, with superfluous sex as an enticing afterthought. By comparison, adult Westerns featured the hardcore sex front and center as the main reason for the book's existence. Most of the adult Western series rose to the same violence level of all but a few of the Piccadilly Cowboy series, but all of them provided the most blatantly, rarely erotic, sexual copulations and fetishes to be found outside of brown paper covers. The likes of the upstanding Bonanza Boys, or Lucas McCain, or Matt Dillon, had no idea what they were missing. Or if they did know, then the satisfying of the orgasmic needs of Wild West women was going on behind locked doors with the lights out. Say it ain't so, Marshall Dillon. There's an argument for considering the original adult Western series being the last of books, which first hit the spinner racks in 1968, eventually numbering 30 titles. Produced by the legendary low-end publisher Harry Shorten, the Lassiter series followed Shorten from Tower Books to Belmont Books, and finally to Shorten's last gasp company, Belmont Tower. Shorten wanted to get away from the traditional upright hero cowboys portrayed in thousands of westerns. He wanted the character of Lassiter to be the first American-bred western anti-hero. He imagined Lassiter as being more than a tough guy. He planned for Lassiter to be a complete bastard and an unrepentant son of a bitch. Shorten contracted Western regular W.T. Ballard to write the first four Lassiter books under the house name Jack Slade. Shorten, however, was not happy with the results. 
Ballard could not shake the traditional characteristics of the Western heroes that were part of his writing DNA. Ballard's Lasseter was a Robin Hood, a sort of saint of the West, still respectful of women and with a swearless vocabulary. Even though Ballard had outlined a fifth book in the series, Shorten rejected it, determined to find a way to capture the character of his original vision. Shorten turned to a young writer, Ben Haas, whose first novel had impressed him. Along with many other books, Haas would go on to create Fargo, one of the most iconic Western heroes of all time, under the name John Benteen. The Lasseter book Haas turned into Shorten, A Hell of a Way to Die, was much closer to the type of book Shorten wanted. When Haas moved on to other projects, Shorten turned to his longtime editor, Peter McCurtain, who had become a legend within the paperback original men's adventure genre. Taking over the reins of the series with book six, High Lonesome, McCurtain immediately proved he instinctively knew what Lasseter was meant to be. McCurtain turned Lasseter into a dirty, bad-tempered, callous gutter fighter. In this new Lasseter world, you shoot first, even from behind, punch below the belt, hard, swear, a lot, and rob, cheat, swindle, or kill anybody who gets in the way of the pursuit of a large amount of cash. This rendering of Laster met Shorten's highest expectations, as well as the approval of the readers. However, while the Laster series certainly contained a higher level of sexual content than was normal for the time of their publication, the books were not marketed as adult westerns. Like the hard-hitting series from the Piccadilly Cowboys, the violence factor in the Laster books was still the main draw. The Laster series took a big step in the western's mature evolution, but it was a precursor to the adult western, not the real sex-oriented deal. In 1975, Playboy Press began publishing the adventures of John Slocum, a drifting gunfighter and occasional Wild West outlaw. Written under the house name Jake Logan, Slocum was the first paperback original series to have the designation an adult western slapped prominently on the front cover. It was an immediate hit. The origins of the Slocum series are murky, pretty much lost to time. The series concept was most likely the brainchild of Playboy Press editor Robert Gleason, who would shepherd it through the growing pains of its early entries. In publishing Argot, a Bible is a short synopsis given to the writers detailing the characters in the series' requirements. In Slocum's case, aside from the violent western shoot-'em-up action, Gleason's Bible for the Slocum series insisted on at least three hardcore sex scenes to appear somewhere in 60,000 words which would make up the 198-page books. These were not to be nudge-nudge, wink-wink escapades over in a paragraph or two. These were to be explicit sex scenes, running to several pages of graphic action, unlike anything the Western genre had seen before. Even the main character's last name was an obscene pun if broken down into two words. Gleason made it clear the action, plot, and anything else in the book were secondary to the sex scenes. The first two books were critical disasters. Instead of the scar-covered vicious gunfighter who can shoot with one hand while throwing a knife with the other, as depicted on the front cover, readers regrettably felt Slocum came across as the most gullible weakling in the West, not a rousing endorsement. The books also received complaints about the disjointed nature of the writing and the portrayal of Slocum as slightly insane. Apparently, this critical battering had no effect on sales. The very large but silent majority of readers, almost all male, were happy reading about Slocum getting his rocks off on a regular basis and didn't give a damn about the niceties of characterization, plot, or prose. By 1980, the adult Western genre had become so successful, most of the major paperback houses had entries in the field. For a decade, new adult Western series appeared and disappeared with the regularity of saddle sores on a tenderfoot. Some series naturally lasted longer than others. 
1984, Leisure Books began publishing the Buckskin series, which ran for 42 regular titles and 10 giant titles. Giants were a marketing device to provide series readers with an occasional double-length adventure of their favorite Western Lothario. Originally featuring the adventures of Buckskin Frank Leslie, a cowboy whose talent with a gun is only surpassed by his way with the ladies, Book 6 finds Buckskin Frank Leslie dying, and his son, Lee Morgan, is introduced and takes center stage. From book number seven, all the Buckskin books are about Lee Morgan. Buckskin was created by Mitchell Smith, who wrote the first 12 titles under the pseudonym Roy LeBeau. The remainder of the series was published under the house name Kit Dalton, with most, if not all, entries being ghostwritten by Chuck Cunningham. At the same time, Leisure premiered Spur, which would become another popular adult Western series running for 45 regular titles and 10 giants. Spur was created and written exclusively by Chuck Cunningham, using the pseudonym Dirk Fletcher. The character of Spur McCoy was one of the wittiest and most clever adult Western characters. He was still a stereotype of the manly man, but less so than the other adult Western satyrs. The one thing all these series had in common was a specific and directed editorial edict regarding the graphic sexual content. Having broken into the professional writing world myself by the adult Western series Diamondback, I wrote number six, Shroud of Vengeance, in the nine-book series, I received these blunt directions from the series editor firsthand. You can write whatever you want as long as there are two graphic sex scenes somewhere in the manuscript. The Bible written by an unknown editor for The Trailsman, another long-running adult Western series, takes a slightly softer approach. The Trailsman novels are adult Westerns, approximately 60,000 words, and as such have at least two sex scenes per book. The style of these scenes have a wide range, but think of them as somewhere between romance and pornography, skirting the edges of explicit detail. Anatomical descriptions are somewhat veiled, i.e. manhood or rod, but never dick or penis. But the action is always hot. Flowery prose should be avoided, but neither should it be too blunt. For 398 regular series entries and seven giant editions, the Trailsman, a.k.a. Sky Fargo, had to put up with being a slightly more blushing hero than many of his harder core counterparts. Signet Books began publication of the Trailsman series in 1980 under the house pseudonym John Sharp. The series was created by John Messman, who also created another popular adult Western series, Canyon O'Grady, as well as the men's adventure series Jefferson Boone the Handyman. Exceedingly prolific, he was one of the many contributing authors to the Nick Carter spy series. Messman wrote most of the first 100 Trailsman books before retiring in the late 90s. He even paired up Sky Fargo and Canyon O'Grady in the Trailsman number 87, Brothel Bullis. A number of other authors contributed to the series, but inexhaustible wordslinger David Robbins, best known for his long-running wilderness series, wrote the majority of the other Trailsman books. Despite the Slocum cash cow, after 38 series entries, Playboy Press went defunct. However, Slocum had become too popular to be allowed to fade away into pulp oblivion. The series was sold to Berkeley in 1983 and was immediately turned into a monthly publishing juggernaut. The Slocum books were so successful, they continued to be published monthly until number 430, Slocum's Silver Burden, which hit the bookstore shelves, by this time drugstore spinner racks were a thing of the past, in November 2014. Multiply 430 books by three sex scenes per book, and you come up with a total of 1,290 sex scenes. By the time the series was canceled, poor old Slocum must have been plumb wore out. 
For several years, Slocum could lay claim to being the longest-running adult Western series, before a couple of his contemporaries broke the record, including one last holdout, which is still being published today. There were several other adult Westerns with similar long runs, ending only slightly behind the mark set by Slocum. There were also a handful more with series runs of 100-plus, and there were virtually uncountable numbers of adult Western series with 50 entries or less. Lou Cameron was a sometimes inspired, always solid journeyman writer. In 1978, he was more than inspired when he created Deputy U.S. Marshal Custis Long, known to friends, enemies, and uncountable ladies across the West as Long Arm. If you understandably thought Long Arm was a cool nickname for a U.S. Marshal, as in Long Arm of the Law, you would be wrong. Jove Books wanted an adult Western series to compete for the Slocum audience, so it doesn't take much lewd imagination to figure out what part of the male anatomy aroused the nickname. Longarm is described as being a lean, muscular giant with the body of a young athlete and a lived-in face. The covers of the Longarm novels all depicted the profile of Longarm's lived-in face graced with a mustache to make any 80s male porn star proud. Lou Cameron wrote close to 50 entries over the course of the series under the publishing house's pseudonym Tabor Evans. Over the 37 years of Longarm's publishing history, many other authors also assumed the pseudonym. Aside from the monthly series entries, there were also 29 Longarm Giant editions. While the average Longarm tale ran approximately 185 pages, the Longarm Giants hit the 300-page range. This not only allowed the writer of the Giant Edition to write a more complex storyline, but it also allowed Jove to charge significantly more money for entries in their popular adult Western series. Longarm would run until 2015, when it abruptly ended with Longarm number 436, Longarm and the Model Prisoner. Every one of the series entries provided a standard concoction of what their audiences wanted. Purient sex, bullets flying from blazing sex guns, vicious fistfights, more sex, more gunfights, and more sex. Longarm always got his man, and he always got more women than any man had a right to get. Jove not only used the Longarm Giants to further the adventures of their best-selling adult Western character, but also to introduce fans to the gunslinging and breathtakingly beautiful heiress, Jessie Starbuck, capable of shooting like a man, loving like a woman, and her murderous protector, the kung fu-kicking Kai. Using the popularity of Longarm to throw support behind the launch of Jesse and Kai's own adult Western series, Lone Star, was a smart marketing move on the part of Jove. Within a month of Jesse and Kai's Longarm Giant debut, the first Lone Star novel made a big splash on the bookshelves. It was packaged exactly as a Longarm series, with similar cover art, interior design, and a similar number of hot sex scenes, with many of the regular scribes for the Longarm series contributing to the Lone Star saga. Lone Star was notable for a number of reasons. First, it featured what has since become a familiar theme, mixing Western tropes with the kung fu action made popular by the films of Bruce Lee and the kung fu television series starring David Carradine. Second, Lone Star featured a strong female lead character, which inevitably introduced cunnilingus into the pages of adult Westerns. Not sure what male readers made of this new diversion. However, it didn't matter if they were amused, appreciative, or appalled. It certainly didn't hurt sales. Lone Star quickly established an interesting and versatile storyline. To begin the series, Jesse Starbuck's father is murdered by a secret European crime cartel. Jesse and the Kung Fu Kicking Kai's adventures were often connected, at least tangentially, to her quest for revenge against the cartel. It's important to note that with the help of Longarm, 
Jesse and Kai are eventually able to destroy the cartel and bring the storyline to an end. Or did it? Lone Star ran until 1995, with the final book in the series being number 153, Mountain of Fire. In 2006, however, Jesse and Kai would return to ride again in Longarm Giant number 24, Longarm and the Undercover Mountie. With 439 regular series entries and counting, alongside 16 giants, the gunsmith, created by Robert J. Randisi, writing as J.R. Roberts, now stands alone as the granddaddy and arguably best adult Western series. Starting in 1982 with the gunsmith number one, Macklin's Women, the series has changed publishers, cover artists, and even formats a number of times, yet loyal fans of the gunsmith have followed their hero every step of the way. The gunsmith is ex-lawman Clint Adams. With a badge behind him, Adams travels the West as an itinerant gun trader and gunsmith. He also regularly finds beautiful and willing women along the way who can't wait for him to lie with them in bed, on a saddle blanket, in a hayloft, or anywhere else coitus can be achieved. One of the obvious social conceits of all these books is the message that sex on the frontier was free of such trivial considerations and complications as sexually transmitted disease, pregnancy, impotence, these guys never ever wore out no matter the number of performances demanded, or relationship and commitment issues. Given a totally different interpretation of how the West was won, the life of an adult Western hero was a grand Guggenol performance of fast horses, fast guns, and faster women. The hero's larger-than-life exploits necessitated the combined nine lives of an overpopulated planet of cats and an unending supply of nubile, busty, body, heavily panting, oversexed, objectified females. Over time, the output of the Piccadilly Cowboys and the adult westerns have quietly been consigned to dusty corners in the darkest recesses of another dying breed, used paperback stores. Today, the Western has matured into a six-gun blazing style of storytelling similar to the time-honored themes and plots championed by Louis L'Amour and his contemporaries. But combining those traditional values with the more modern sensibilities of deeper characterization and motivations. The Code of the West may be a bit tattered by some different approaches to the genre, but the Western remains alive and well, six guns blazing, bullets flying. Thanks for listening. Remember to check out the Six Gun Justice website at www.sixgunjustice.com for reviews, articles, and interviews from the best of the Western wordslingers. Till next time, be safe, keep your gloves on, your masks tied, and your outhouse stocked with pages from the Serials and Robot catalog. Adios. I'm out of here. Let's ride. <laughs>